It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Thank you, Chuck, and welcome, everybody. Mike Vaccaro here in the front row. Glad to have you with us once again alongside J.R. Quitman, our creator, producer, and director. Up to episode number five, and for that, we're going back to basketball and bracketology. We've got Joe Lenardi on with us. Never too early to talk brackets with March Madness closer than you might think. The basketball season right around the corner. We talk about him growing up in Philadelphia, influences in the basketball world, and how it came to be. Bracketology, what it is right now, and all the coaches that are very interested in what Joe Lenardi has to say. Plus, we'll talk about his book. And a bobblehead as well. All that, episode five, with ESPN bracketologist Joe Lenardi. Well, Joe, uh, we appreciate you joining us here today in the front row. And uh, it's, it's you know, the start of basketball season right around the corner. So it's about to be your, your busy time. And we decided to get you right before that. But, uh, again, thanks so much for joining us uh, here today in the front row. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Uh, uh, I saw on Twitter this morning, uh, 25 days until the first tip on November 9th and the Champions Classic and about 120 other games. And I think back to where we were a year ago this time, not even certain that there would be a college basketball season, much less knowing how it would happen. Uh, I I think what we did experience was, uh, under the circumstances of the pandemic, remarkable and remarkably high level play, but it sure will sure will feel good to uh, walk into the gym again. Yeah, yeah it certainly will. And uh, I know that was something that a lot of us were missing. I had to do some broadcasts from my office last year as well. So hopefully that won't be the case this year. But before we get to what's going on now, let's go back to you and and your origin story here and and how this all happened because it's uh, certainly unique. Uh, the personality that you've become and, and this role that you've uh, really created, I think, in the, this country when it comes to college basketball. But you're a Philadelphia guy, grew up in Philadelphia. How much were sports part of your life? And I'm assuming that basketball was uh, maybe the, the biggest sport in your life. Yeah, there's a picture of me. Uh, I haven't been able to find it in the last 20, 30 years, but I do remember Uh, a black and white picture of me as a first grader sitting in front of my dad's manual typewriter. Now I realize we probably have viewers who don't know what a typewriter is, but it, you know, like picture your computer keyboard, but actually like little metal rods that put the letter on a piece of paper. Anyhow, I'm at the manual typewriter and I was typing according to him box scores of the 76ers uh, because the, the first team that I remember following was in the first grade and it was the 66, 67 Philadelphia 76ers. And, you know, they were pretty good. They had a guy named Will Chamberlain and, and, and he was okay. And he was from Philly and he went to Overbrook high school. And I grew up in the Overbrook section of Philadelphia and I was, you know, six, seven years old. So I just assumed that, Everybody had a player from, you know, their neck of the woods who was going on and doing things like Will Chamberlain. So that was the team I picked 
to follow. And for Christmas, I remember asking for a clock radio, believe it or not, with a sleeper switch so that I could have the Sixers games on the radio at night as, you know, I was going to bed. And in the first grade, that probably meant I got to the end of the first quarter. But, you know, whatever. That's where it started. <laughs> That's awesome. That's uh, Will Chamberlain. You're going back there. So was that the, let's see, post 100 point game for Will Chamberlain during that, those days? Yeah. Yeah. That happened in 62. Yeah. And I, I, I was two years old and, you know, allegedly 140,000 people have claimed to have been in Hershey that night. I do not claim that <laughs> I was crawling and that there would have been go. about 80 miles. So there, uh, there you go. Well, what, what a, I, I do think, though, that y- y- this is maybe off topic, but I think there have been three athletes, like because I'm a, kind of a numbers person, who just dwarfed and revolutionized their sport just when you look at the numbers. Wilt, Babe Ruth, and Wayne Gretzky. And when you look at, you know, like Wilt a- averaged. 50 points a game one year and over 48 minutes. And he never fouled out of a game ever. You think there were guys beating on him? And, you know, Gretzky, like he's the leading goal scorer of all time. But if you take away all his goals, he's still the leading scorer of all time. (laughs) And, you know, like, like, like was, is now an adjective. Like his accomplishments are Ruthian. Like, we don't say someone's accomplishments are Lenardian, right? <laughs> and for good reason. Well, those that get the brackets uh, as accurate as you do, maybe they are Lenardian. So uh, <laughs> you, you never know. You, you could be within that realm at some point. Uh, so, again, you're from Philadelphia. You go to, to St. Joe's Prep and then uh, to, to St. Joe's. Uh, were you playing basketball at that time? How, how, how close to the sport were you growing up? Well, I was playing basketball, if you count the Nerf hoop in the basement, and, you, you, you know, the 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 backboard on the on the front of the garage outside with my with my big brothers. Uh, no, no one would have ever called me, you know, a, a significant athlete of of any kind. But uh, I, I guess the clearest way of having it start. So I did go to ninth grade in, in Philly at, at St. Joe's prep, but for three years, 10th, 11th, and 12th, my dad's job was on the West coast. So we moved to Southern California and I went to a school called Damien high school. And, and you know, it was an all boys college prep Catholic school. And, uh, you know, we were good at the major sports, football, baseball, basketball, and, uh, eventually the coaches football and basketball, particularly I became like, and this will shock people. I became like the clipboard guy, right? The guy who stood next to the, co- like I recorded, all right, we ran left off tackle and at halftime I'd say, you know, coach, we ran that play four times and we got seven yards or whatever. So I became like an SID of sorts for the high school. And my other big high school activity was forensic speech and debate. So here I am doing numbers and kind of learning how to make arguments. And if you think about it, I haven't progressed at all. <laughs> now I'm just doing it on different topics and with a camera 
in front of me. Uh, but, but, but I suppose, uh, you, you, you know, they say water finds its level, right? So may, maybe I found mine in the 11th grade and have stayed there ever since, but eventually came back to Philly for college to St. Joe's. And, and that's really, you, you know, the, the Philly college basketball scene, the, the, the big five, for people who don't know, at, at that time, the 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 five Division One schools, Villanova, Temple, St. Joe's, Penn, LaSalle, all played at the same building, the Palestra on Penn's campus, and typically in double headers. So, you know, we were having teams come in from all over the country for multiple leagues all season long. Like, imagine if you could drive 15 or 20 minutes from your house, and in one night see a Big East team, you know, then those days, Villanova, Notre Dame, an independent, you know, Temple, uh, now American, and St. Joe's, or or whomever, right? Like, you know, I saw Carolina at the Palestra. I saw Duke at the Palestra. You saw Bayheim at the Palestra. You know, Patrick Ewing at the Palestra. So, like, without knowing it, I majored in college basketball. Like, my actual degree... I think I still have an incomplete from junior year and going to the elite eight, but, 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 you know, my actual degree wasn't, and for most of us, this is the case, right. Wasn't as impactful as the activity of being a student journalist, kind of growing up in and around the palestra and sitting on press row for Titans of the media when print journalists were kind of, king of the world and that's what i wanted to be i wanted to be one of those guys uh and in 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 a way did become one of those guys because for you know 10 or 12 years after college i did cover the big five for one of the suburban dailies in in delaware county where where i live and covered you know the 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 great john cheney teams and lionel simmons at LaSalle, of course villanova in 85 which given their more recent titles probably feels like ancient history to a lot of people, you know, the St. Joe's run with, with Jameer Nelson, et cetera, all all of those teams. And in any, any given year, at least one, if not more than one were national, you know, programs and had runs in the tournament. So that's how I kind of fell in love with the tournament and ultimately how it was put together because I was just trying to gain insight to cover the team or teams in a given year that were on my beat and that were going to make, have a chance to make noise in March. And I started studying how they put the tournament together. Not, not because there was any long range goal of bracketology or what it has become. Like, like people that, wow, you must've had a business plan and this and that. Do I look that smart? Like, (laughs) No, uh, like you, you know, you just do what's next as best you can, and sometimes it leads to something. I mean, you go Wilt Chamberlain, as you said, to the the Big Five. It's easy to fall in love with the sport when that's the case, and the pleasure sure. as well. I, I, I've been in the Palestra. I haven't had the pleasure of broadcasting in the Palestra, but I know there's an aura about that building, and it's maybe more because of the the teams that had played in there and the coaches as well. 
I mean, like you mentioned, it's got to be such an influence to have those guys, a Raleigh Massimino, a Don Chaney, or John Chaney, guys like that, so influential in the sport, and you're around them on a almost, I'm sure, a weekly basis. That had to be incredible. Yeah, I mean, there used to be weekly media lunches, right? Like, like, And the coaches would just well, – they would mostly sit around and bust on each other because this was when – in, in a time when when winning what we called the City Series, the local Big Five championship, like if you ask guys from the 50s, 60s, and early 70s, you know, what happened in 73, right? They'll talk about the Big Five champion more than the NCAA tournament. Like it wasn't the Colossus at all that, that it is today. Uh, and now... You know, I think, yeah, like I remember going to those media lunches and there's Rolly and there's Cheney. And before that, you know, Chuck Daly, uh, Jack Ramsey, like, and before that, you know, Harry Litwack and Jack, like, like these aren't just like, these guys are in the hall of fame. Right. Like they're founders and builders of the game. And there I am, you know, 19, 20 year old little reporter with a notebook. Uh, and, y- you know, just, you know, the, the just my era of being an undergrad, like Jimmy Lynham coached St. Joe's. Well, he coached and general managed a bunch of NBA teams. Paul Westhead coached at LaSalle. He won an NCAA or NBA championship. And then later coached, you know, the Loyola Marymount teams. So it it was really an outrageous incubator of basketball. And, you know, if I don't get in the palestra now at least once a season to just kind of like walk down the tunnel, like people, you know, talk about walking down the tunnel at Notre Dame, play like a champion. Like my, my whole goal was to be able to walk down that tunnel at the palestra and eventually get tall enough to hit my head on like the concrete thing where everybody had to duck while well, I'm still not ducking, but every player that's gone down to that floor has ducked. <laughs> and it's, it really is a museum. The concourse, you know, there's a display for all the big five teams, all the great high school players, you know, Kobe dunking on people and, you know, Rashid Wallace. It's just, there's nothing like it. And, you know, I remember it's 35 plus years ago. Like, I wanted to get married there. <laughs> Seriously. And, you know, I was outvoted one to one, which began, you know, someone's undefeated record, which still stands <laughs> as I wave goodbye for the day. <laughs> Well, that, that just means you're coachable. You know, that, that's that's the key. Maybe that's, that's exactly that right. Learn. Yeah. Let me look at my last performance review here. Uh, <laughs> takes direction well. There you go. There you go. Well, again, what, what an incredible, uh, you know, place to start and, and get that education. So from there, I, I guess you stayed in Philadelphia. You were at Temple as, as a sports information director for a while. Is that kind of the, the, the you know, I was at Temple. Now, I, right after college, like I always had a full-time job, which didn't have anything to do with basketball. And I was, we used to call them stringers in those days, who would be out covering, you know, like I, I was like a full-time 
part-time writer for one of the suburban dailies. You know, I, I would go cover high school football games in the fall and, you know, whatever. Lo- do, do local columns on kids from our area who had gone on to great things at their various schools and activities or, or what Olympic sports and all that. And, you know, just would be a great way to tell stories and get to know a lot of people and a lot of things. Like, like I did a story once on a national putt-putt tournament at like the local course. And I think back and thought, man, that needed a bracket. Right. <laughs> but I didn't know that then. Uh, so yeah, St. Joe's as an admissions counselor, Temple in Human Resources, and then back to St. Joe's as basically the PR director for the university, never Sports Info, on the academic side. Uh, and and the basketball was, you know, always you know like an evening and weekends thing, except for maybe a couple of Thursdays and Fridays in March. I think some, I think I'm coming down with something, and uh, <laughs> and you know before the work from home thing, like yeah. now you don't even have to lie, right? <laughs> Takes all the fun out of it. Uh, but that that led to uh, get, get, getting lined up in the late '80s to do some off-season writing for one of the preseason publications, in this case, the Blue Ribbon Yearbook, which is the thick bot for, for the insiders in college baseball. You know what I'm talking about. I got one around here somewhere because this year, and of course now it's digital. When I started, you know, Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet, <laughs> but you know, the, the big thick, but, and, and I covered the Ivy league for a couple summers and I think the Atlantic 10 once and, the guy who founded it, Chris Wallace, was working out of West Virginia, where he was from. And uh, eventually he brought me on as an editor and managing editor. And then he went on. He's now a general manager in the NBA. So apparently you don't need a lot of qualifications for that gig. You know, I'm still waiting for the call. But it was doing Blue Ribbon in the 90s and then eventually being the editor of Blue Ribbon for, I don't even remember, six or seven years after Chris left, we added, if, if there was any any true inventing in, in my story, it was this. We added a postseason guide in 1995, which was an 80-page soup-to-nuts preview of all 64 teams in the tournament. And if you think about it, you know, again, pre-internet or early internet, like we had to go to print selection Sunday night, like actual like ink, paper, binding, shipping, right? No, like hit send. And we had to go to print on Sunday night in order to ship on Monday and Tuesday. So folks would have it Wednesday for that, you know, 1208 Thursday first tip, right? And if you think back, how would you approach a project like that? You would have to at least have some idea of who's going to be in the tournament and in what configuration. So that when the bracket came out, you weren't starting from scratch. Wow. So that was when the first bracket, you know, estimates or guesstimates were done, like 94, 95, 96. So I tried to learn about 
how they did it. And I would, you know, in traveling around either as a writer, and by then I was doing some St. Joe's games on the radio. Um, my current partner, Matt Martucci, your friend, he hadn't been born yet, I don't think. <laughs> but I was, you know, I'm old, so I was doing them. And, and, you know, in, in just the course of being on the road during the season, you know, sometimes you run into committee members or past committee members or just people who knew stuff. So, you know, I, I credit the, those kind of pioneers of, of Selection Sunday for, for talking to me. Like, they didn't have to talk to this little guy from Philly with the little book who, you know, was spending his whole selection weekend with five guys in his office typing up copy. Uh, but but they were kind enough to do that. I, I think it was seen as a credible, you know, query and, and, and exercise. And ESPN.com was getting its start around that time. And we, we thought that maybe if we gave them my bracket project, in like February, maybe they would put our 800 number to order the book. <laughs> you know, again, listen, eight, not a link. There was no e-commerce. Like, hey, call guy 1-800-GET-DIANE in, in our office in West Virginia, and she'll put you on the mailing list for Selection Monday. So, so the projection started, you know, about 14 clicks into ESPN's first website, and it just went nuts, Mike. People were nuts because there was nothing like it like let's say you're in i don't know iowa fan right well yeah you think you're in the tournament because you're i don't know 18 and 7 on february 20th right but you don't like when the bracket came out it was a complete mystery there was no you know, understanding of the the who, the how, the why, the where, anything. So, so you know, we kind of became me inadvertently in a window into that, but not for the reason of being a window. We were just trying to do a book. We were just trying to get a book out and get it to the printer on time. And it was, like you said, you tried to get ahead of the curve so that you could print it in time. So, I mean, necessity kind of created the invention of this and, and this Correct. kind of industry. Correct. So when I say, when people say, well, how did this all start? I'll say laziness. <laughs> we wanted to finish as quickly as we could. And frankly, in the first two or three years of that postseason book, because I, I wasn't very good at it, narrowing down the field. Like we might assign... 80 or 90 stories around the country on all the teams. And then we had to pay for that. So we were paying for a couple dozen a year that we weren't printing. So like, you know, we're, we're operating on a shoestring at that time. Right. Like I always joke, man, I was a great businessman. I invented this postseason book. And in its first year, we did a quarter of a million dollars in sales. Fantastic. We had like $240,000 in expenses. <laughs> like great <laughs> but not for not for me not for our partners so we had the if again if we were taking a business class we'd say well perhaps if we shrink 
you know, the expense side, we can have a better bottom line divided by the depreciation of the barometric pressure of North Carolina, and it will make $20,000 instead of 10 divided by 12 people or whatever it was at the time. But, you know, long story, a little less long. I did get pretty good at it. And eventually ESPN.com evolved and started promoting it some. And the projection business for me became more, um, what's the word? Yeah, more kind of uh, profitable, if you will, than Blue Ribbon. So, you know, I sold out of Blue Ribbon. Our, Our kids were coming along at that time. So there were only so many quote unquote side jobs that I could, you know, manage at one time. And, you know, that lasts for a few years in 2002, ESPN News was born as a channel. They were looking for, you know, I guess, geeky nerd stat types to be, you know, because their top analysts were on the big channel, right? And somebody put me on in 02. I guess I didn't completely F up. And, you know, now 20 years later, there's a studio in my house. Who knew? So that's the bracket bunker is is in your house. Is that what it is? Well, yeah, but I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to say which house or exactly where because, <laughs> you know, it is an undisclosed location. Uh, those Those Kentucky fans have a way of showing up on your lawn. Like if I were to tweet right now while we're talking that I move them down a seed line, by the end of the of the episode, you know, I, I would be taken away in in you know shackles. <laughs> you, you know the fan bases to be careful with. We're going to get more into that in a little bit, but uh, and I guess you know again when you were putting that printed version out, you had mentioned or I had seen you know Jim Nance was using it. You know, he's the voice of March Madness. Was yes. that when you when you kind of realized, okay, maybe we're we're onto something here, and this could turn into something more? Yeah, if if there were a couple of aha moments, uh, yeah, ninety five or ninety six when the first tournament guy came out. You know, I'm at home on that first weekend watching games, right, with the sniffles, and. Uh, you know, now you'd have to like go get a test, but, uh, you know, I look at, and, and we knew like C- CBS had like a one person research department. ESPN was still doing some early round games. They, they, they had a research department and they, they were our biggest customers, at least bulk customers for all their talent. They would buy them. And I look up and there's Nance at the desk and there's my book. It's like, right, like right there. And I'm thinking, wow, we should, like, there has to be a way to make this a thing, right? Uh, and and I remember at, at that 95 Final Four was in Seattle, and I went to the Final Four, and I ran into Nance, and I thanked him. And he said, he said, I had it with me in my bag every round. Because there wasn't, again, no internet. There was nothing like it. Uh so that's 95. In 02, someone at ESPN.com decided to give Bracketology its own page, like a primitive version of, of what you just scrolled through. 
And yeah, there you go. O- only then it had my picture. So that was a bad idea. <laughs> but, you know, the first night it debuted, like that first Monday in January, whenever the the college bowl games were over, it would be like, a, you know, mid-January, Monday night, in first, I don't know, hour and a half, they got like a quarter of a million views. And and we looked at each other in the newsroom and went, holy camoly, like, because I thought, yeah, yeah, it has a, fo- it has an audience, clearly, but does it have, you know, uh, now we would say, can you monetize the audience, right? But like, was it enough to be a thing? Yes, apparently. And that was kind of when bracketology came out of the, you know, cult status, if you will, and into more of the mainstream and vocabulary of the season, right? Like, like when people say, oh, well, you know, people pay attention to you and the committee pays attention to you. Like, I have no idea. What I do know is the, the vocabulary and the understanding of the process has changed. Like, if I show you the emails I got 20 years ago versus now, like, you'd realize how far along as a fan base we have become in understanding all of this. Like, in those days, it was, you know, why can't Villanova play Georgetown in Landover? Right? Today, the question might be, how do you distinguish 22 and 8 Clemson versus 21 and 9 Indiana when they didn't meet each other in the ACC Big Ten Challenge? Right? Like, it's just a whole different conversation. And I do think that bracketology has had a whole lot to do with that. Now, it would have happened, like someone, like it would have happened, like it's not like if I wasn't born, we'd still be in the dark ages, right? Like it would have happened. I was just first, not necessarily best, just first. And uh, I don't take that lightly. I, I, I like, I, I understand that. I work in the kind of life's toy department now, and that's to, to, to be cherished, right? Like we could have real jobs. Uh, and I did for a long time over, over on, you know, that side of the last couple of years, I've been fortunate to be, you know, semi-retired from my administrator jobs and just primarily doing basketball. And, uh, I'm I'm even more thankful for all of this. Uh, but 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 recognizing that in the grand scheme of things, especially after the last year and a half, it that bracketology is not really very important. In, in its in its bubble, if you will, it's incredibly important to people's jobs and careers and for the players, professional aspirations, et cetera, et, et cetera. So like, I don't just, I don't ever wing it because 
I, I know that at least until that Sunday at six o'clock, people are counting on me. And, you know, uh, like there are others who are just as good, if not better, at the analytical part. More power to them. Uh, but, you, you know, our network happens to be the regular season kind of first stop, if you will. And so people are paying attention. And, and I know that. And if I make a mistake, I know that very quickly. Uh, so I, I I try to take the work seriously without taking me or really the subject seriously. Because I know, like, again, it's ter- nobody died because of that check swing call at midnight last night in the Dodger-Giants game, right? But that doesn't mean a lot of people aren't feeling it this morning. Yeah, I mean, as you know, they're they're fans, they're fanatics, and and it's Correct. a big part of of all sports, but certainly college athletics, especially when you throw in, you know, this is my alma mater, this is where I went to school, and and that's 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 a big factor in people's desire to see what you're talking about. them for sure, it's bragging rights. <laughs> I mean, like sports is essentially bragging rights. Because we're all living vicariously through our fandom. And you're right, fan is short for fanatic. And I try to, like when people say, oh, how do you put up with all those people on Twitter or whatever whatever it is? Well, without them, I'd be selling life insurance. <laughs> so I, I kind of try and take it as part of the deal and have fun with it. You know, every once in a while, somebody will get under my skin. Like, I'm human. Uh, but by and large, I've I've met great the greatest people in my life through basketball. Yeah, you can certainly tell that. It, you know, obviously, like you said, you're the first bracketology. Who coined that? Who came up with that? Because obviously that has kind of helped, you know, make this yeah. what it is it had to be something how did it become bracketology well we we when we did our book last year we did kind of try to dive into that some and we discovered that i was quoted in a notes column in the philadelphia inquirer i think it was 98 the the the, the beat writer was asking about temple's chances you know, I don't, there you go. I know that guy. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, the, the writer said, you know, according to Joe Lenardi, who calls himself a bracketologist right now, I don't remember ever calling myself a bracketologist like on my own, but that got in the paper the next day. Uh, which spawned bracketology. And that then went, you know, on the top of the page of ESPN.com in the early 2000s. And here we are. So, you know, it's become legally a term that is in the public domain. It's actually in the dictionary now. So I can't own it. It's not like one of those three P terms that I can make money off of. Um, because it's, it, it's for everyone. So I hope it's contributed to the common good or 
As Patino once said in a post game when asked about his team chances, you have to ask Lenardi what our seat is, but how would you like to have to fit bracketologist on a tombstone? <laughs> right? So I'm thinking, okay, well, that's still better than looks ugly in white suits on a tombstone. But whatever. He's been, he's been a, a fan and a supporter. Uh, and, and, you know, Mark Twain always said, I don't care what they say about me, just spell my name right. So you've got the fan bases and you got coaches as well. So when you're putting these, you know, these out, you know, weekly, daily, as you get closer to, to March, are you hearing from any coaches during that time and, and questioning why you have, you know, somebody from their conference in over them or, or whatever the case might be? About every 45 minutes at peak time, right? Like, like this percolates along at kind of a manageable pace, I would say, until the day after the, the Super Bowl, whenever that is. Let's say, you know, Monday, February 5th, right? What, whatever that day is, then the whole sports world wakes up and goes, ooh, what's going on in college basketball? Like, it's what's next. And that is when, you know, I start showing up on your screen every night and they start putting the stuff on the crawl right at the bottom of the screen uh, and media call, coaches call, conference people call, uh, you know, my golf partner's friend's brother-in-law who went to Rutgers and they haven't been since 97. Are they really going to make it? You know, should I buy tickets for Tampa or where, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's, you know, it's part travel agent. It's part data analyst, part Dr. Phil. You know, I won't mention any names. One February, I got a call from a, you know, pretty prominent coach now out of the out of the out of that spot but an ACC coach you know I get this Joe call me early by four o'clock I need to talk to you by four o'clock I'm thinking somebody died I was still in my old job I was a VP at St. Joe's by that point I was in a meeting with the president of the school my boss and I said Dr. Jones like I'm sorry like this sounds hurt and he got like he knew what it so I call the coach back and I'm like what's the matter He's like, well, I need to, we've practiced it before. I need to know what to tell the guys. And I said, what do, what do you mean? He said, I need to tell them what we need to do to get in. And I said, you're 12 and 15. <laughs> like, what What do you mean? Like, like, tell them to defend the ball screen better? Like, what was I going to say at that point? Like, coach. Like, you're delusional. <laughs> uh, we're still friends. You know, I never identified or shared shared the... Uh, but but I can tell you, because he's open to it, uh, the very first coach to really call, like, and make a thing of it was, back to 90, it was Scott Drew. Right? And all he did was win the national championship. But when he was building Baylor, you know, they were on the bubble that year. I think it was... 98 or 99, somewhere around that. And, or no, no, I'm sorry, 08. 
Oh, wait. Yeah, he wasn't there in 98. Uh, oh, wait. And, you know, they did eventually get in as an 11 and begin their build toward, you know, what happened this past season. And he just, nice as hell, called and called and called and called. And so I jokingly told him that I was going to start giving out privately the annual Scott Drew Award to the coach who, you know, kind of got up my you-know-what the most during the run-up period uh, to the tournament. And uh, he he's a repeat winner, <laughs> but not, not last year. <laughs> like when you're number oh, one he was secure last year. Yeah, you don't need to talk to Lombardi too much. Yeah. Uh, but I made a lot of great friends that way. Let's just leave it at that. And finally, the, the couple years that Bryce Drew was with us at ESPN, he's like, did my brother really? And I was like, oh, my God, Bryce. Like, he would give an aspirin a headache. Like, like he was nice about it. And some guys aren't as nice. Yeah. And we've seen that you know, play itself out on TV from time to time. Again, don't need to, you know, mention any one like Archie Miller by name, but, you know, I, I certainly can He knows what I think now, so all they need to lose. But, uh, yeah, and, and you know, what, what that drives home to me is just how important it is to these guys and how important it is for me to never half-ass it. Well, right. They probably see the importance because, I mean, do they think that, and do you think that you have an influence on the committee at all? And and then, you know, in some coaches' minds, maybe their jobs are on the line based yes. on. Has it yep. gotten to that level to where yes. what yes. you're saying, what you're coming up with, is is that you know monumental in in these coaches and these teams' lives? Well, let, let me get you know, great friend and colleague Seth Greenberg at at the network, if he was on this call, he would say, you know, in, in my early years with him in Bristol, he'd be like, you kept us out, you know, in, in year A, B, and C. I'm like, well, I'm not the one who played Western Carolina 17 times <laughs> or, or whatever. Well, we'd be too. I'm like, okay. Uh, uh, but, but I think he finally knows now, and he says it in the book that, that he, yeah, I, I now know that committee members pay attention to me during the season. I didn't used to believe that until some of them told me. Uh, but when they close the door in the room and, and have their voting screen in front of them, yeah, not, not, not a thing. If anything, maybe go the other way, right? Because who among us likes the guy in the back of the room with the answers to the test who won't share them, right? Nobody likes that guy, right? Nobody likes that guy. Uh, and, and you know, that that's why I try and be as open and as transparent with every request, you know, from the, from the Topeka Eagle to, you know, five minutes on Scott Van Pelt. Yeah, it's 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 big. It's become a, a you know obviously as uh, Jr. showed the the website now. You've got to bracket out now. I mean, you've had one for a couple of weeks, I guess, and the season yeah, hasn't that, even that started yet. An idiot. 
That guy <laughs> must be an idiot. Now, th- th- there is an off-season kind of algorithm, if you will, that I've put in place. Kind of measure returning minutes, the offensive and defensive efficiency of those minutes, how we think that the 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 minutes will be replaced and at what level. Uh, but the great thing is, in another whatever three or four weeks, like then we can watch games, and then it's more than a formula, right? And and it it's important that the off season stuff exists now because people want it. But I, I make no claims to it being as rigorous, right? Uh, because it can't be. It, it, you know, it's it's like the baseball hot stove league. Like we talk around the water cooler. You know, I think Michigan's going to be great next year. No, I think it's UCLA. Okay, fine. Uh, yeah, we, we could come back and look at this. What's on your screen in in March? And it's not going to be terrible like history would suggest that it's going to have because i you know i might monitor this in 10 or 12 years i get on average between two or three of the one seats correct a year in advance or six months in advance whenever it posts and probably about 45 to 50 teams Right, because you you know the the one bid leagues can go any number of directions. You know the best player at Coastal Carolina could tear up his knee, you know, on October fifteenth. God forbid. Right. I mean, uh, now come Selection Sunday, it's going to be a whole lot closer than that. I mean, it better be, or I'm just wasting my time. Well, you know, and, and one of those schools, and, and I've got to bring up Syracuse here. You mentioned Matt Martucci. He and I are, are, are both Syracuse alums. You work with him on the, the St. Joe's broadcast. Did he what even is it graduate, Mike? What's did that? He even, did he even graduate? <laughs> well, I don't know. He's a little bit younger than me, so I cannot confirm that. All right. Um, but, but they seem to be the one school that and the, the fan base, I know that's a fan base. You mentioned the Kentucky fan base, but I, I know that's a fan base that you, you hear from as well. And maybe opponents fan bases as well, because, you know, yeah. how are they getting in some of these years? Look, next year, there'll be 358 Division One schools. Yeah. I will claim with... Like, not trying to, no false modesty, because people who know I'm neither false nor modest. (laughs) All right. I will claim to be an expert, maybe even the best expert on the postseason prospects for 357 of the 358. I can't get Syracuse right. It's like kryptonite. Like, I can't do it and like it's not like a one-off like it's three out of every four years like my off-season algorithm is almost purely numeric because there's no there's no subjective observation that has occurred on games that didn't exist right it's just the the only way i can be fair is to make it purely quantitative and like, how is it that three years out of the last five, in in August, when you run the numbers for 358 teams, 
Syracuse lands between 67 and 69. How is that possible? Right? Like you could flip a coin 200 times and have it come up heads. Like that's impossible. Like a statistician, and I don't claim to be that, like they would tell that's not possible. But here we are, and I don't know why. And I think I think Coach Bayheim is just sitting in a little room up there laughing at me. <laughs> in fact, he's kind of admitted as much. And uh I I got nothing. I, I just can't explain it. And like again, my like I think they're gonna be pretty good actually. But I would just caution, you know, the Q's faithful. We have many, 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 many examples over the years of teams that looked really good for two or three weeks in March and then were over-evaluated the following year. It almost never goes the other way. Like, like three months of performance is more indicative than three weeks of performance. Right. A statistician would talk about sample size and standard deviations, all that stuff. What I'm saying is. It may not be what you saw in the Sweet 16 or maybe Buddy Beheim will continue to make every shot he takes. Maybe he will. And maybe when I hang up with you, Scarlett Johansson will be on the phone. <laughs> right. But I'm guessing not. Well, that that would certainly be an upgrade from from me for sure. How much time you know, are are you traveling? Obviously, you're doing St. Joe's broadcast, so you're traveling with them. But are you traveling and are you seeing teams play throughout the year in person, or is it more you know what you're seeing, watching games on, on TV? Well, last year, obviously, we were all yeah. watching from afar, and and that had its pluses and minuses. Uh, the chief plus being if I had to do a midnight sports center. It was a pretty short commute to bed, <laughs> you know, like, Hey Joe, thanks for staying up. I'd get in my ear. Right. And be like, Hey, you know, not a lot of traffic walking down the hallway. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I do look forward to, to being able to go to games and um, I, I do have, you know, through, ESPN and, and, and every internet subscription, like there's not a game that I can't get if I really want to watch. Um, but I'm tracking games later in the year more than actually watching them because there's too many to, you you know, because the, the biggest way this has changed is I'm now expected to have kind of instant updates, which, which it it requires, like, I think requires a different evaluation method from the other bracketologists. And for that matter, the committee members, because they, they're doing snapshot brackets in the committee's case, you know, in February and then the real one, and then the February top 16 and then the real one. And in, in, in most other cases on, on the internet, the other guys who do it, and, and they're all great. Most of them anyway. Uh, they're doing their snapshots once a week. Like I have to say at halftime, if Mississippi state loses, here's what happens. Right. And that requires a different, you know, uh, approach, if you will. 
so so I'm tracking games at that point and doing a lot of if this, if that. Like the the guy for the in-between show on Super Tuesday might say, all right, Joe, what do we talk about with, you know, Jay Will and Lafonso if blah, blah, blah happens, right? So I'll just kind of, like, again, 80% of the work is off the air. I'm just setting the narrative. Like if, if I never appeared on television, I think they would still need me. In fact, it might actually be better for them if I was never on television. But uh, I know a lot of fans in Kentucky and Syracuse feel that way. Uh, but I do enjoy that part of it, too. It's just fun. Well, tell us about the book. Um, you know, I'm sure some of the, the topics that we touched on here, but what can people expect uh, if they want to buy that book? As you see yep. their bracketology, and uh, uh, what can you tell us about it? Well, this is the first official book promotion mentioned for the 21 22 season. It, it came out last March, uh, you know, in the pandemic. So we're kind of hoping to kickstart it again. And what it is, is what what you've heard for the last hour. It, it, it's not, it's a little bit of my story in basketball, but it's mostly about the evolution of college basketball in the bracketology era. And, you know, it's got a lot of humorous, at least I think they're humorous anecdotes. Uh, and if, if you pictured, if you watch this conversation, yours and mine, and you said, Hey, I'd like to sit and have a beer with that guy and pick his brain. Right. That's what the book is. Uh, and, 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 you know, because my brain is somewhat limited, it, it's, it's, it's not six beers, it's just one or two. And I, I, I've been told that, like, here's what I'll say. It's better than I thought it would be. Like, I didn't really want to do it because I didn't think anyone would buy a book about me. And I was convinced by my co-author, David Smale, that it would really be a college basketball book, just kind of using my career path to, to expose the side of the game that wouldn't have been seen. And, and I think it does that really very, I mean, look, what am I supposed to say? It sucks. <laughs> um, like, I, I read a lot of sports books. And I spend a lot of money on other people's sports books. If you were to get this for yourself as a fan or as a Christmas gift for someone, they would not be disappointed. And it's not like it's not like 73 charts of, you know, this selection grid or that. It's none of that. It's just conversational. It's just conversational. And quite a few coaches uh, opining on what they think of bracketology and, and what they think of little old Joey there. Some of them even like me. <laughs> and, and to clarify, it does not come with beer. You've got to provide your own beer, correct? You've got to provide your own beer. But I do talk about the Yingling vending machine that's now in my garage, uh, which was a nice byproduct once of being the bracketologist. There you go. So, Yingling, uh, it's a Pennsylvania product there. Uh, finally, I want, to, I want to wrap up with uh, your bobblehead. That's something else that's, that's out right oh, now. Oh, I don't have one here. You don't have one uh, here? I, th I think JR maybe has a picture of one. There we go. Oh, my God. There look at go. that. Well, first of all, people know that's actual size. <laughs> uh, and, man, that is frightening. 
Um, <laughs> did you not? I, I see don't even these? know what. I don't even know what to say other than that. Uh, uh, I, I've, I've, I, I, there have been no royalties yet. <clears throat> it's not like we've, you know, passed Cabbage Patch Kids here in the sales department. But I, I do hope to donate any royalties to Coaches Versus Cancer as we go along. Uh, so, so that's a plus. And um, yeah, my hands aren't that big. I cannot palm a ball. That, that's what I'll say. The rest, big nose, big teeth, big ears. I'd say that's pretty on target. So you, you know you've made it when you have your own bobblehead doll. Uh, that's correct. Know. That's correct. And I heard from Sister Jean that she wants one. So, wow. like, I mean, you know, that's pretty cool. That's, that's some basketball royalty right there. Uh, from well, and another, I have another friend who told me he has four bobbleheads. He has four bobbleheads. He's a, a golf buddy. The Pope, Tiger Woods, Kate Upton. I'm not sure what bobbles, but Kate Upton <laughs> and me. And I think to myself, one of these is not like the others, <laughs> right? Ah, uh, Mike, this is the wrong thing to do, but I gotta go. Okay, we're, we're gonna let I you go. ruin your show before you go. How can people follow you? Oh, just on Twitter at ESPN Lenardi, and the book is at uh, triumphbooks.com or amazon.com, or just you know, if you want to Google Joe Lenardi Bobble, God only knows what will come up. <laughs> the last time I did it, it was me. Joe Biden, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I, I, I don't know, like Patrick Mahomes or something. <laughs> well, Joe Lenardi, we, we appreciate your time. I know you're about to get uh, really busy here, and uh, I know the, the Kentucky and Syracuse fan bases will be certainly uh, tuning in to you throughout the year. Thanks for your time today. Well, and go uh, Seahawks. There you go. UNCW as well. Maybe we'll see uh, them on the bracket this year as well. Uh, if, it's been a little if, while. If you come to Drexel, Look us up. We will. We will. All right, All right Joe. Take care. Appreciate Later. your time. Thanks, Mike. All right. Well, again, my thanks to Joe Lenardi joining us today. Special thanks to Matt Martucci, his broadcast partner on the St. Joe's Basketball Games, who helped get us connected and get that interview for you, talking about bracketology. Again, March Madness, closer than you might think. So uh, be sure to follow him. Get that book. Get that bobblehead as well. All some fun stuff there. Again, thanks for you for watching us here today. JR Quitman behind the scenes as well. We hope to see you next time for another edition of In the Front Row with Mike McCarroll. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night, everybody.